Father, tonight, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you wrote it. You know what it means. You know what you meant. And I pray that you reveal to us your intention tonight. Lord, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to teach us in our spirit beings what you want us to know this evening. We thank you for it. We rejoice in it today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I'm going to read you this prophecy. You've heard it before. This is the, the prophecy that the word, the word that, that God gave to Gail on January the 23rd. I'm just going to read it again because I think it bears repeating. And the Lord said to Gail and to all of us, Get out of your rut. It is a death sentence to those who practice doing the same thing over and over and expecting me to do the unexpected, the miracles you so desire, the surprises you seek from me. Put away the prepared scripts and give me an opportunity to speak to the people through my spirit. Lockstep is for robots and for those without the spirit in their lives. Without the spirit in your lives, you will never see revival by doing the same thing over and over. I'm the God of the spontaneous. I love to surprise those who fully trust in me. My spirit will give you what to say even, when you're even in your defense when you're being persecuted. Practice now by depending on me, my people, and I will be with you when there is war for your souls. Let the people be the church and quit scripting every move as if it's a play where all the lines are memorized and spoken. Listen to my spirit. Follow what I say, and you will have the gifts, surprises, and miracles for you and your families. You will prosper, you will be healed, and it will be well with your souls. Amen. That's a great word from God. God wants to do something. And we're truly kidding ourselves if we think we can keep doing the same thing and get a different result. If we think that we can, can keep doing the same predictable church service over and over again and think something different is going to happen, we're just kidding ourselves. I mean, you know, unfortunately, often the church is waiting for God to do something. God's waiting for us to do something. If we'll draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. Now, there's the scripture, there, there's a song that says, Draw Me Nearer. Is He's not going to do that. You get to draw nearer. You choose to draw near to God. And then he will draw near to you, is what the scripture promises. We try to put things on God that he's not said he would do and try to exonerate ourselves with all the excuses and say, well, God's in control. Seriously? Is God in control of what you had for breakfast today? Did he choose that or did you? Is God in control of the rapist, the murderer? Is he in control of the crazy people? that are loose on our streets and our nation today, is he in control of those people? I'm going to tell you, if he's in control, he's doing a bad job. God will never control people's wills. We need to be people who want him. We need to be people who are willing to make the change so that God will come and invade us with revival. Let me read you a scripture. Here's what the Bible says. This is in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. 
says, But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of his, all of his prophets that Christ should suffer, so he has so fulfilled. Jesus suffered. He was crucified. He was buried. He was, ra- he was raised again. Then he says in verse 19, Repent ye, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. It's time for refreshing. It's going to take repentance on the part of the church to say, Lord, we're sorry that we've ignored you. We're sorry that we've held you at bay. We're sorry, God, that we've kept you at arm's length and we've decided that we're in control and we're going to, we know what we ought to do and you can, we'll, you can sit this one out because we've already got it planned out. We're going to sing our four songs, have our 20-minute sermonette, and we're going to get them to lunch on time. Hallelujah. And we're going to take up the offering. It's important that we understand that if it hadn't worked so far, it probably isn't going to work. I'm not stepping on your toes because I'm not talking about you in particular. Then it says in verse 20, And he shall send Jesus Christ, which was before preached unto you. Wouldn't you like for Jesus to come in the room tonight? What would you do if Jesus came in the room? Wouldn't that be something? Sometimes I think, that'd be great. Sometimes I think, oh Lord, could we even stand it? Now, he wouldn't come in the room if he was going to kill us. I'm going to tell you that right now because he's not into that. But we want him to send Jesus. It is time for refreshing. That ought to be in your mouth and in your prayer. God wants to send a refreshing. He wants to send it to the church because she's become dry, she's become stale, and she's not what she ought to be. So we need a time of refreshing. So tonight, I'm going to begin, I've already begun. We, had, we read this, this prophecy from Gail, and it, it talked about you can't do the same old thing over and over and expect God to do something different. I want you to think about revival for just a second. Think about it. I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture, and then we'll talk more about that, what you're thinking about. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I don't know how you view that passage of Scripture, but most Christians view it like this. They're in the upper room, and they're thinking, Sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly dove. And then it just came and fell on them, and it was sweet. That is not what that said. It didn't say anything like that at all. I mean, this was, this was something that was different than anyone had ever seen before in their lives. And yet Jesus prophesied it to them over and over again. So what do you think about when you think about revival? Do you think about big church service? Oh, the worship team is up there, and everybody's moving and swaying. The lights are coming on. The smoke is coming up. Oh, it's, oh I just feel it. What do you feel? 
Can I just tell you something? Hitler could move a crowd better than any worship team can. Because he got in their soul. And he moved them to all kinds of, 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 of atrocity. It's not about what you feel. It's about the Spirit of God. I mean, I'm sorry, I got off track for a minute. I'm sorry. You know, and there's smoke and there's lights and, oh, there's some healings. And, oh, here's the best part. People getting slain in the Spirit. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? Oh, that's just people. Oh, I've said this for many years. It doesn't matter how, how, how you fall. It's how you walk when you get up. Because I've seen a lot of people fall and lay on the ground for, for a long period of time. And they get up and their life is still as messed up as it ever was. And they've not been delivered of one single thing. Oh, let me keep going. I'm sorry. And so the gifts of the, of the Spirit are flowing, and there's tongues and interpretation. How long has it been since, you, since you've been at church and there was a tongue and an interpretation? It's been a lot. Yes, yours it did. Most people can't say that. Most people would say, um, well, either never or many years. Because I'm going to tell you something, the most uncomfortable person in a room is the person who has a tongue to give. Because the thought goes through their mind, what if nobody interprets this thing? Okay? All right. The most comfortable person in the room is the person who has the interpretation because while they're giving the tongue, they know what they're saying. And so it's like, oh, this is easier for me. All I got to do is tell what they, what, they, what they just heard. Okay? But, but you don't see that much anymore. But wouldn't it be great if there was tongues and interpretation, prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom? Wouldn't this be awesome? Do you, I don't know, do you picture this? People getting the devil cast out of them? Do you picture that? Not in our nice church. I mean, Lord, we wouldn't want that in our church, would we? Some guy having a demon starts foaming at the mouth and, and all that. Would, would we want that in our church service? I think we really would, but most people would not. I mean, that would freak people out. Have you ever been in a church service where somebody had this demonic manifestation? I mean, we were at service one time, and this person had a demonic manifestation. And I mean, there were, there were chairs, and people were all sitting around. That person had the demonic manifestation. All the chairs went, <laughs> and that person sitting in the middle, and all the Christians are, they're trying to, because nobody knew what to do with it. Because, because Hollywood and culture has taught us that the devil is something to be afraid of. And you better be afraid of the devil. Does the Bible ever teach us that? No. no, it does not. In fact, it teaches just the opposite of that. I mean, look at the passage here. There was no worship team, first of all. They didn't have a worship band. They didn't have any lights. How could they have a move of God without a worship team is what I want to know. No worship team. Nobody, no trained musicians. I'm not opposed to that. David had trained musicians in the temple when he was the, or in, in, the, in the tabernacle when he was the king, and Solomon took him to the temple. All right? So there were trained musicians, but on this day, there, to our knowledge, there, were no, there was no worship team. There was not even any music. Now, there was fire. I don't know if there was smoke. I mean, for sure there was not man-made manufactured smoke in that, in the, in the, going on there. But they were in this room, and, and the Bible says that, that, that they, there were rays of fire resting upon each one. It didn't, didn't literally say tongues of fire. It says rays of fire from heaven. I mean, there were light beams of 
fire coming from heaven resting on those people. Ooh, that would be fun to see. Now, that I would like. I'd like that to be in my church service. Okay? And then, and then it says, this is funny. We're thinking about sweet Holy Spirit. But the Bible here says there was, <laughs> there was, there was the sound of a rushing, a mighty rushing wind. The word sound here literally means there was a loud or confused noise. It was a loud sound. Rushing means to move with a suggestion of force or speed. Mighty means violent. All of a sudden they're praying. There are these rays of of fire coming on them and this kaboom. How do I know that? The whole town came to see what blew up. And all those people were out in the street looking to say, I mean, because you would do that too, wouldn't you? If you heard a big explosion, you'd go out in the, in, in the, in the, in the street and say, what blew up out here? They all came to hear it because all of a sudden the Holy Spirit released this sound of, 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 of a mighty rushing wind. I mean, they were all out there. There was a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. What, what, which one was it? Well, they spoke in tongues. But there was a supernatural preaching that took place. I mean, the Apostle Peter got up there, the very one who just days before had denied Jesus. And Jesus told them to, told the, to, told them to, tell, to say, and tell Peter I prayed for him. And he gets up in front of all those people, preaches a three-minute sermon. That's how long it takes to read through his sermon if you just do a good job of it. Three minutes and 3,000 people got born again. Ooh, today we preach 3,000 sermons and get three people born again. I mean, it was supernatural, this manifestation that take, take place. I want you to notice something here. Where did it say this took place? It says they were all accord in, in one place, and it's talked about all this stuff, and it said it filled what? The church building. The temple, it filled the house. They weren't even at church. They were in a house. Hey, we're in a house. Maybe the Holy Spirit would come and fill this house. That's a pretty, that's a pretty awesome thing. It was a house. This first revival... The reason I call it a revival is because they were already vibed. They were vibed while, they, while Jesus was here. They got, they got the new birth. They got all those things through Jesus. But here, they're getting the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and there's revival in the house where they were. When I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I was in a house. I was 18 years old in a house almost 50 years ago. In another month or two, it'll be 50 years. In a house with all these people that were my age. We were singing really moving songs like, like uh, fall on your knees, fall on your face, Holy Ghost going to shake this place. We were singing that kind of song. <laughs> I mean, we, we sang this one, you know, have you, I don't know, you probably sang when you were younger, but cause it says he done done what he said he would do. And one of the verses was he said, give me some tongues. He done done what he said he would do. Well, I didn't have any tongues that night until after that. But, I mean, the Holy Ghost was everywhere in the room. And these kids, my age, and they said, anybody got a prayer request? There were some adults there, but they were back 
they, they, they weren't they weren't they weren't they were they were in charge and they were spirit filled but they, it was all young people and they said anybody got a prayer request and they did just what we did tonight they put a chair in the middle of the room and they said anybody got a prayer request and I jumped in that chair because he, he hadn't done, done the tongues in my life yet and I wanted that really bad and the Holy Spirit filled the place the Lord I mean we find this revival began in a house a group of people got into unity and began to pray what were they praying for do you think the promise of the Father because that's what Jesus told them to do they got him another apostle they began to pray for the, for the... They didn't know what they were praying for. They knew that John said that he would baptize them in the Holy Ghost and with fire, but they didn't know what that was. And they began to pray. Got in unity. And the Holy Spirit fell in that place. Now that's the kind of revival I want. Where people come and they're amazed because God shows up. Not because we got a good children's church. Not because we got comfortable chairs and good music. Where God shows up and it's powerful. Think about other revivals. Have you ever studied revival before? I've not studied it a lot, but I've studied a little bit. There was a group called the Anabaptists. Anybody ever heard of Anabaptists? They got their name because they, they figured out that baptism has to be the result of faith in Jesus, not just being born. And so they taught against baptizing infants. And so they were called Anabaptists because they were against infant baptism. Because the scripture teaches that we, have to, that we have to repent and believe. And then we get to be baptized. Okay, So they're called Anabaptists. Right? This church traces the Anabaptist movement initially. And the Quakers came out of that. Other groups came out of that. But, but, it, but it, the Catholic Church traces its roots back to Jerusalem. The Anabaptists, they trace their roots back to Antioch. Remember, remember Antioch? That's where Paul and Barnabas went. And that's where not just the Jews, but the Jews and the Gentiles were part of a big church there that Paul and Barnabas stayed and they, they taught them and they helped establish that church. And so this church, I mean, it was filled with the moves of, movement of the Holy Spirit. The gifts were all the time. And so it, that didn't crystallize as soon as the church at Jerusalem did. Okay, and so after a time, they were still operating the gifts and doing those things. The focus of that revival was, was repentance, and sinners turning to Jesus as their Savior. It was quite the revival. Many Protestant denominations have come out of that. The Baptists, the Quakers, uh, the Church of Christ. There are lots, the Church of Christ didn't, but the Disciples of Christ did. And so a lot of these churches, a lot of denominations came from it, but they were a spirit-filled group of people. They prophesied. They prayed in tongues. They had miracles in their services all the time. All right? This was, this was some, some 150 years after, after, after Jesus was, was resurrected. Then... How about this revival? You've heard about this one. What about our own Great Awakening? Anybody heard about the Great Awakening? The Great Awakening in the United States was led by men like George Whitfield and John and Charles Wesley and Francis Asbury and others. And these were great men of God, great preachers of the Word. I mean, it was really something. This revival was really earmarked by Brush Arbor meetings and camp meetings. It wasn't earmarked by church meetings. It was earmarked by meetings outside of the church. 
you're going to find a common denominator here as we go through this. It was outside the church, and, and so they, they would meet outside. They met in some churches. Finally, churches would open up to him, especially George Whitfield, because he was just overpowering to people. But, but for, by and large, they, didn't, they weren't inside church buildings. All right? Now, we never hear of these worship services being music-led. There was music, but that wasn't what people came for. They didn't come for the music. They came to hear Holy Spirit preaching that brought people to repentance. Because the mainline churches of the day quit preaching repentance and faith and were preaching all kinds of other things and people needed to repent. And when these men of God began to stand up and preach about repentance, men repented and they turned to God. So it was about that. And as that began to wane, then the second great awakening came. And this also was, was primarily camp meetings outside of the church building. Now, there are documentations of miracles and supernatural manifestations occurring regularly at the Brush Arbor meetings of John and Charles Wesley. The Methodist church was founded on the supernatural manifestation of God among the people of God. And people got spirit-filled everywhere. They met sometimes, somebody told me when we lived in Kentucky, they were talking about where, where one time, I can't remember if it was John, I think it was Charles Wesley was out in, in the forest, they cleared an area, and the people came, and there were all kinds of miracles. People's, people's uh, uh, arms and legs grew out. I mean, there were just supernatural miracles that took place among, um, in that revival. I mean, it was pretty fantastic. Uh, and so in these revivals, music was important to them. And the reason the music was important is because people couldn't read. And so they would write songs, like we read tonight from the Bible, they would write songs of, with Scripture. And they would sing songs with Scripture, and so people would memorize Scripture by singing songs. I mean, when I got spirit-filled in the 70s, we didn't have... They, we, for some reason, we rejected the hymnal in those days, and we got Bibles, and they said, okay, now turn to this chapter, and then we'd sing a song based on the chapter in the Bible and the verse we were reading. And that, I'll tell you, I memorized a lot of Scripture as a young man, spirit-filled, because we sang songs from the Bible. I mean, that song we sang tonight, I've known that song for a long time. In fact, I think when I heard it, the Gaithers sang it. And it, it, it was, but we learned lots of things from Scripture just by singing songs because singing is a powerful meditation. And when you sing, what are you doing? You're muttering, you're uttering, you're speaking to yourself over and over again the truth. That's why the devil has worked so hard to steal music from, from people. That's why, that's why when rap music first came out with all, I don't know, I've never not listened to it in many years. I didn't even listen to it then. But the lyric, many of the lyrics were just awful. Talking about murder and, and, and abuse and all those. And people began to say that over and over and it becomes a meditation and pretty soon they become what they meditate on. Amen. But the devil's worked. And you realize Satan was, <coughs> for wanting to find the scripture because of his pipes, he was apparently the worship leader in heaven. He understood music, and that's why he wants to pervert it in the earth. Well, there, man, I mean, they, they got it. Then how about this revival? You heard of this one, the Azusa Street Revival? Anybody heard about that one? That's pretty new. That's, that one took place in about 1907. I mean, the Azusa Street Revival began because there was this guy. He was a black preacher. He could only use one eye. His name was Seymour. He, he went to this Bible school. They wouldn't let him in the room because he was black. And he listened to this guy named Charles Parham teach about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. 
Well, Charles Parham wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit. He hadn't, he hadn't got it, but he taught his Bible class at the, at the, at the university in, in, in Kansas, and he taught him about the baptism of the Spirit. And he said, okay, I want you to all go home over the Christmas holidays, and I want you to begin to pray about this and read about this, and let's see if we can gain understanding of this when you come back from the Christmas holidays. They came back from the Christmas holidays. Seymour was still out in the hall because he couldn't come in. And all these people began to talk about this passage of Scripture from Acts chapter 2 that we just read. And they all of a sudden got filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues. And they knew nothing about it except what the Bible said. Well, Seymour's out in the hall. He hears it. He gets baptized in the Holy Spirit as well because he realized it was in the Bible. He goes to Houston and he, he tries to do some things there and people run him out of town. He goes to L.A. He gets to L.A. and he tried to pastor a church. They kicked him out of there. And then after he went there, he found a group of people that would come to a Bible study that he was teaching in a house. And it was on. People started coming. They started getting filled with the Holy Spirit. They started, now, it didn't start on, on Azusa Street. It started this house, and I can't remember what the name of the street is. And they began, I mean, all of a sudden, man, there, were, there, was, there was manifestations of the Spirit. It got so big, they were in the house. The floor caved in. They had to find a new place to go. So they find this old, this thing has been used as a warehouse. It was a church before at one time. Anyway, so they began to meet there, and they began to fill it up. And there were manifestations of the Holy Spirit I'm almost every night. I mean, the, the witnesses talk about a, a, a smoky presence of the Lord in the room. It was a fog that would come down every night when they began to, when they began to meet together. I mean, there's this presence of God. I mean, it wasn't a beautiful place. They didn't have any pews. They didn't have any musical instruments. I mean, they had, they had like two by twelves and they spread them out over over rock, blocks of brick and, and 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 buckets and things so people could could sit but most of the time they either stood or were on the floor with their faces before God. Man and Seymour would get up and preach and he from what I hear he wasn't that great of a preacher but God would just move in the place. Every night they sought him and there was there was just such a such a, a move of God. Now they didn't have any musical instruments and here's how what they did somebody would just get a song to sing. And then start singing it. And then everybody starts singing with them because they only knew hymns in those days. But they began to learn songs that they got from Scripture and they began to sing those. Every song concluded with them singing in tongues. They'd get to the end, they'd just start singing in tongues together. Every, everyone. And there was just this presence of God. I mean, it was, just, it, was just, it was just wonderful. Well, we understand that while most, by many denominations, came from that particular revival, most of the church world, in fact, the vast majority of the church world, rejected what they did. Said it wasn't from God. Said it wasn't right. I mean, they rejected it because they didn't feel like that you should pray in tongues. They didn't feel like you should have miracles. They for sure didn't feel like that black people and white people could worship together. It wasn't just blacks and whites. It was Asians. It was Hispanics. All these people met together. And the church world didn't think that was right. And so they rejected it. It didn't make it to the churches. So these other, church, other denominations sprang up, and they sprang up, and they were spirit-filled. Right? Then there was this next, the next one that I know about. Well, there was also the healing revivals of the 40s and 50s. Those are fantastic revivals, and you can actually see videos today of some of these healing services uh, in, of, of the healing revivals, and it's pretty phenomenal. The words that people, that these ministers got and the healings that took place were remarkable. But then there was, in, in, in the 60s and 70s, the charismatic renewal. Now, we have, we have this thought that, that uh, Calvary Chapel, or the church in California, 
is considered to be the origin of it, but it actually began before that and in, and in multiple places. It actually began, first of all, with a bunch of hippies in San Francisco. And they were at the corner of Haight and Ashbury. They got saved. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. They didn't know anything except they were saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. And Jesus delivered them from drugs. And I mean, they got high on Jesus. And they thought that was better than being high on anything else. And I mean, they were, they were there praying for people, getting people filled with the Holy Ghost. God was doing miracles among them. People were doing, I mean, all kinds of things were happening. Healings. And there were just these manifestations of spirit. Because these hippies didn't know you couldn't do that. They had no idea that you couldn't, you, you couldn't pray for people. They had no idea about all these things. They just went out and did it because they were so excited about Jesus. And they couldn't fathom anybody not loving Jesus that way. I mean, they were so excited about it. And so they got saved. They ministered to people. They eventually went down to, to L.A. And, and began to be there. But at the same time, these clean-cut kids at Notre Dame University we're having Bible studies in the dorms. And they began to get filled with the Holy Spirit at Notre Dame. I mean, they were everywhere getting filled with the Holy Spirit. They were, I mean, the, 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 the priests were saying, stop it, stop it. They couldn't stop it because these kids were spirit-filled. They, they, they were just getting spirit-filled, praying for each other, miracles starting to happen. And these weren't hippies. These were just clean-cut kids. At the same time, at a Methodist seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky, Asbury Seminary, people started getting filled with the Holy Ghost, and there was a huge revival there. It was breaking out everywhere. Nuns in convents all across America were getting spirit-filled as they prayed and sought God. I mean, it happened all over the country, all, almost at the same time. It, it was amazing. But by and large, the church rejected it. It was rare to find a church that accepted the revival. It was rare. Even the spirit-filled churches that came from, 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 from the other revival rejected them because they weren't dressed nice enough to come to church, because they, they were unorthodox, because the hippies wanted to sit on the floor. <laughs> and they didn't smell good. They didn't look good. I mean, if you were alive in that, during those days, you remember how your dad looked at hippies. Yeah. And they were like, those are filthy, rotten people right there. The son don't ever be like that. And that made me want to be like it more. <laughs> I mean, but the church rejected them. I mean, they didn't, they didn't want them to be a part of it. And so, <coughs> excuse me, and so... For years, for years, they, they didn't want people raising their hands. They didn't want any emotion whatsoever in the church. They for sure didn't want you talking back to the preacher, you know, the amen and you talking to me and that type of thing. They didn't want to hear that. The hippies didn't know you weren't supposed to do that. They, thought you, they didn't know you were supposed to be nice in church. They, they didn't understand what was going on. In fact, hippies would get up and give their testimonies and cuss because they didn't know it was wrong yet. And the denominational people, they didn't like that. They thought that was wrong. They thought something was wrong with those people and that God could not be in it because of those people. See, what churches like to do, what a lot of Christians want to do, is they want to clean their fish before they catch them. You've got you to catch the fish before you can clean it. And people come to church. Man, I'm telling you, the people you want in church are people who don't really fit because they're the fish we're after. 
And it made people uncomfortable that that was going on. I mean, here, man, in the charismatic renewal, there were no hymnals. I mean, there were none. It was kind of like, kind of like those, 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 those Brush Arbor meetings. We learned scripture because we sang songs from the Bible. There was, I mean, they took the pianos out. If you got to the church building, they got spirit-filled. They kind of took the pianos out, the organs out, had some guitars. And, I mean, people went nuts when they found out they put drums in the church. <laughs> I mean, even if it was in Lubbock, Texas, other people would say, well, it's just a bunch of hippies if they have drums in the church. <laughs> and drums in the church. Can you, that, was, that was unbelievable in those days. I mean, that, that revival was mar- earmarked by, by all, people of all kinds of socioeconomic groups coming together. But by and large, it was embraced by young people. Also, what happened in those days was that God raised up teachers of the Bible. And people who had, who, who were, who had just gotten spirit-filled but had been to seminary or had a Bible education, they began to teach. And they began to tell people, what, what you used to could only learn in Bible college because churches didn't really teach the Bible. They taught how to get saved every week or how to adhere to the dogma of the church. But all of a sudden, these Bible teachers were talking to people about who they were in Christ. All of a sudden, people found out they were the righteousness of God in Christ. All of a sudden, they found out that my past is my past. Jesus, from the time I met Jesus, I became a new creature, and that's all over with. And people were beginning to act like Christians. They were beginning to do like Christians. And, and, and they were beginning to witness because they fell in love with Jesus and they told everybody they knew about Jesus. I mean, it, it, was, just, it was just awesome. So finally, the mainline churches began over time to lose people. And they were just shrinking. And the churches that were spirit-filled were growing. And so the mainline churches said, okay, let's, let's let them raise their hands if they want to. Let's act like we're them, but let's don't talk in tongues. And so a lot of churches adopted that. They began to grow. And then the spirit-filled churches began to think, well, we can't get people if we let people talk in tongues in the service. And they began to take that out. Uh, no, no room for that. No room for the prophecies. No room for that. And so the charismatic church became more mainline. And you couldn't tell the difference. Today you cannot tell the difference between many charismatic churches and denominational churches. You can't tell the difference. Now, the people love the Lord. Don't get me wrong. There are people in those churches that love God. But the, the, the revival, it's going to be hard for revival to come there. All these people came. I remember in the 70s, the men, there, were, there were always manifestations of the Spirit, especially prophecy and gifts of revelation. Especially. And God did weird miracles in those days. Weird ones. But we were just young and we believed God would do anything. One night we came out of Carnation Ice Cream after we had been to a church service back in those days because our church got spirit-filled, and we came out of Carnation Ice Cream. I had this old 61 Ford pickup, and I don't know. All these kids would get in the back of it as I was trying to leave the church because they knew that, that I could get them to the Carnation. So they would come, and, and, and so we all went to Carnation, and we came out of Carnation this one night, and I tried to start that truck, and... Nothing didn't happen. I'm going to tell you right now. It was, nothing happened. So well, we, 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 weren't dis, we weren't discouraged. We'd been witnessing to people in Carnation the whole time we were there. They already thought we were crazy. So we all got around the truck and laid hands on that truck. If you saw the movie, uh, uh, the, the Jesus Revolution, they laid hands on a car, you know. Well, that's, that's our life. I mean, we, I had more hoopties than you can even imagine. 
And we laid hands on that truck and we prayed because God wanted those kids to get home. There had to be a way for them to get home. We laid hands. There were no cell phones. We laid hands on that truck and Tammy was there. And that truck started right up after we prayed. Because God, I told him last night, I think God was in heaven and he was looking at us and he elbowed Jesus and he said, what's this? I think I need to help him. And that truck started because we believed he would do anything. Our hearts were so clean and pure before him. We believed, we believed he was who he said he is. And we just gave our hearts to him, everything. I mean, the music was simple, but they thought it was all rock and roll. I mean, it, it was a great time. And what's my point telling you all this stuff? The mainline church wants revival, they think. They pray for revival. But mostly, it's comfortable with things the way they are. I'm going to tell you something you might not want to hear. Revival is messy. Revival is uncontrollable. And religious people can't handle that. It is messy. What are you going to do with the guy who comes in with all the demons in him? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when they start filling up the front of your church with wheelchairs? It's uncomfortable. It gets messy. And, man, pastors who have to have control? I've been one. I know what it is. Because there are so many flakes out there that you can't imagine it. But if they have to have control over everything, there is not room for God to be in control of the revival. It is uncontrollable. Uncontrollable. Well, isn't that something? The revival is uncontrollable. So they don't want that. Because they can't control it. Heard them in here. Three songs. 20 minutes. Get them out. Get the next one. We can control that. We can control that. God wants to move. And he wants to be in control of it. He wants messy people. To get fixed. That's what he wants. That's what he's after. I wish I could tell you how many people I know in my life that have come to church week after week and heard the word preached. And when they came the first time, they were crazy. And the word of God straightened their minds out. I know crazy is not the way you're supposed to say it, but that's, you understand that word. I've seen people come and you could tell they were tormented by demons. And, and it was through the ministry of the word that demons came out of people. Remember how Jesus cast out the devils? With his word, the Bible says. Man, see, and so we've got to be open to whatever the Lord wants to do. 
You can't put new wine in old wineskins, according to Jesus. The new revival will not fit into the charismatic wineskins. I'd like it to, because I understand that. That's, that's my language. I get it. But it, you know what? This new wineskin is going to have to have tattoos. Gonna have to have piercings. Gonna have to have things that, that I, I, I don't even like. It's gonna have to have it's gonna have to have it's gonna have to have people our age that are willing to teach and sit down. When we met Chuck Smith, he talked about at his church how that one of the elders, and it was in the movie, but it, it was different in his story. That the el, one of the elders of the church People were complaining about these hippies and how they were in there barefoot and they were ruining the carpet and they were, it, was, it, wasn't, what it, it wasn't like it was supposed to be. And, they, and the people were leaving and they were trying to tell, they were trying to leave and, and this one elder got up, took off his shoes and went down to the front and sat on the floor with the hippies because he knew that he had to embrace them. Was that comfortable? Probably not. But we've got to get out of our comfort zone because revival is different than we think it will be. We've got to be whatever you want. Now, there's got to be decency and order. I understand that. 1 Corinthians 14, 40 tells us that. But we cannot dictate to the Holy Spirit what He can and cannot do. Man, the time is ripe for an invasion of the Spirit. I believe that. I believe it can happen with us in here. I believe it can happen. But we're not supposed to seek revival. We can pray for it, but we're not supposed to seek revival. The Scripture says we're to seek God. We're to seek the Lord, the Lord God, the Lord of hosts. The Scripture says we seek His Word. His precepts, His statutes, His law, and the law at His mouth. We seek His face, His name, peace, truth, His strength, wisdom. Seek good knowledge. We're to seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we're most of all supposed to seek the kingdom of God. Isn't that what Jesus said? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then he said, all these things will be added to you. Now, he's talking about material needs, but I believe he could be talking about revival. But it doesn't come from seeking revival. It comes from seeking God, seeking Him. We understand that Jesus is God. He is the Lord. He is the Word. Scripture says He is the wisdom of God unto us. He is the truth. He's good. He's above and He's at the Father's right hand. We're to seek His name. His name is the name that's above all names. Because God's given the name. He gives us strength. Isn't that the word you got? He, he's our strength. Gives us strength. And He's the King of the kingdom. If we fall in love with Jesus, folks, we're going to have all that stuff. We're going to be in love with Him and things are going to happen. I'm not talking about being flaky and weird. I'm not talking about having to shake. 
I'm not talking about falling under the power, even though that's okay with me. I'm talking about falling in love with Jesus. If I'm in love with Jesus, then His Spirit can do anything He wants to do. That's what we want. We want revival. We're supposed to be seeking the kingdom. Seeking the kingdom. The king is the king of the kingdom. When we seek the kingdom, everything's added to us. I like that. Scripture says in Psalm 119, verse 65, Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word. When I got spirit-filled, I was in the middle of revival. I didn't know the word very well. But I'm telling you, I fell in love with it. And I was fortunate that I was under the mentorship of some people who knew the word. And they helped me along the way. I mean, I had a youth preacher that would not let me alone. I tried to get away from him. And every time I would sneak out my back door of my apartment, he was there. Or out my front door, he was there. He somehow knew what I was doing, where I was going. And he met me all the time. I was spirit-filled, but he knew that I was as flaky as you could be. And he taught me the word. And I met Tammy that way. The Lord wants to deal well with us. That's what the revival is, him dealing well. I want that to happen. He'll do it according to his word. That's what the scripture said. According to his word. He'll deal, if there's no word, let me just tell you, this is my experience. If you go to groups where there's no word, people are flaky. They will do crazy things that will never bring the kingdom. If, listen, if, if the kingdom isn't, if it's not about the kingdom, it's not real revival. If it's about tongues, if it's about, if it's about feelings, if it's about all the, it's not revival. The kingdom. And so, if there's no word, the, the God can't do well. And if people, people, if people only have the word, and they don't have the fullness of the Spirit, they get mean. They get just flat out. Have you been around those people? I mean, they got a Bible in one hand, a rock in the other, and you better just watch out. You got, Jesus said, he, 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 told, he told the Pharisees one day, I, don't, I have to paraphrase it, he said, he said, you're missing it because you don't know the Scripture or the power of God. You've got to have them both. You've got to have the Word. You've got to have the power of God. There's got to be this fullness of the Holy Spirit. And there's got to be the Word of God. I cannot identify a single time in the Scripture where Jesus only had music and the gift flowing. Because Jesus is the Word and He had to teach the Word. It was who He was. Can't find it in the book of Acts either. I can find the Old Testament, by the way. I can find in the temple that the Spirit of God came and they couldn't stand it. They just had to get out of there. I'm good with that one as long as he comes and he fills it like that and you can't stand in there. That'd be kind of fun. I would like that to happen. 
but we need the word of God. If there is word, he does well with us. Jesus said, I mean, Jeremiah, the Lord told Jeremiah, he said, I want you to tell people my word. I want you to speak my word. I want you to, you're, you're, you're not too young. You're going to, you can do it. And then he said, I will hasten my word to perform it. God's going to perform his word that comes out of our mouths. I believe we have revival. I believe God wants to do revival. The devil has been lying to the church for so long, telling us that what we have already is revival. It is not. Now, maybe in Mario's tent meetings, it is real. I believe that's right. I believe it's very real. But for the most part, it's not. Moving music is not revival. I mean, a a sermon that's a good idea is not revival. That's not revival. We want true revival. The devil's been saying, that's good. You got, that's all you're going to get. You're never going to have another move of God like, like they did back in the 70s. Or, in fact, I don't even know if that's even true if they really did all that stuff. Listen, I lived through it. I know a lot of it was true. I wasn't alive during Azusa Street. You may think I was, but I wasn't. But I know that God wants to move like that. And the devil's saying, no, you can't, you can't have, we won't have that again because we've got new wineskins to fill up. But there's going to be something that happens. The devil's been saying, this is as good as it gets. You're as blessed as you're going to be. It can't be any better. I mean, Lord, what are you going to do if, 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 uh, if that church isn't going to get revival? What are you going to do then? What are you going to do? Where will you go? What will, what will happen? So the devil has people trained to just keep doing the same thing like is in this word of prophecy we read at the beginning. He has us trained to think, if we just keep doing our good little duty, then we will have, that'd be good enough. That's all we get. Let me tell you about fleas and bees, and then I'll be done. Do you know you can train fleas? I mean, fleas are easy to train. I mean, have you ever been like at the fair and they had you come and see the trained fleas? <laughs> You wasted your dollar, but you still can see the train fleas if you go in there. Here's how they train fleas. They, they catch the fleas. They put them in a jar. They put the lid on the jar. And fleas hop, you know. And so the fleas hop, and they hit the lid of the jar. And I guess it hurts even if you're a flea to hit your head on the top of the jar. And so they, they jump, and they jump, and they jump. Finally, they figure it out that if I jump just a little bit lower than this, I won't hit the lid. And so they jump lower, not high enough to hit the lid. And that's as high as they will ever jump again because they've trained, been trained not to hit the lid. And now you can open the jar and the, the fleas will stay in the jar and they will never get out because they're trained to be limited just like that. What about bees? Have you, have you thought about bumblebees? Scientists said that bees... <laughs> are too fat and their wings are too short and it's impossible for them to fly. They've studied these bees and they, they said it's aerodynamically impossible for bees to fly. Here's the problem with their theory. They forgot to tell the bees because the bees are flying and they're doing, doing it all the time. We can be like the fleas and let the devil train us and tell us that this is as high as we're ever going to get. This is as close as it's ever going to be. 
So just get used to it. This is the normal. Or we can be like the bees and we can say, "Uh uh-uh. You say it can't be done? Well, I'm doing it. I'm going to have it. I'm going to have revival. I'm going to be a part of revival wherever it is, whatever it takes. I'm going to have the revival. Is that in your heart? Revival will take the kingdom of God and it won't be limited to a building. It will, it will go wherever we go and it will fill the streets and the byways with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll be praying for sick people and they'll be getting healed. You'll be, you'll be prophesying. You don't even have to say, thus saith the Lord. You'll be speaking words of knowledge and words of wisdom to people. They won't even know what's going on. And they'll think, how in the world do you know that? It'll be supernatural because the Spirit of God is on the revival. Revival doesn't just change a church. Revival changes cities. It changes whole communities. That's what revival does. It's not good enough to get a revival so you and I can feel good about it. We've got to be committed to saying, Jesus, whatever you want, wherever you send me, I will go. I'm going to work today. Jesus, show me what to do. Show me how to minister to the people around me. Help them understand, Jesus, that I'm in you and you're in me and you will flow through me. And you will do what you've promised you would do. And you might be thinking, well, I I don't think I can do that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I'll tell you a story. My little boy was six years old. His name is Connor. He is a different individual, more different than many of you will ever meet. Currently, he has really long hair and looks really scruffy, but that's kind of par for the course for that kid. When he was a little boy, he fell in love with Jesus. Every one of our children got saved when they were four. They all spoke in tongues when they were five. Okay, so this little kid is spirit-filled. He's six years old now, and he was in love with Jesus. And every place we went, to every restaurant we went to, he'd get this look in his eyes. And his brothers and sisters would say, Dad, because he was getting ready to ask the server if they knew Jesus. One time we were at the airport, and he asked his man, he said, Sir, do you know Jesus? And the guy ignored him. And he finally said, Sir, do you know Jesus? And the guy ignored him. He said, Sir, do you know Jesus? He ignored him. So he looked at his mom and said, Hey, Mama, that man can't hear. <laughs> that's not the story I'm going for, but anyway. <laughs> These are true, that's a true story. But he asked every server, he asked people randomly, if they knew, even in the men's bathroom, he asked people if they knew Jesus. You know, the unspoken code is men don't talk in the bathroom, but he did. He asked people they knew Jesus. One day he was with his mom and his sisters. Was Ryan there too? And his brother, just you and him? Yeah. Just Tammy and Connor. They were at J.C. Penney in the mall in Clarksville, Tennessee. Huh? Yeah. And Stephanie. They were at the mall in Clark, J.C. Penney in the mall in Clarksville, Tennessee. And so they're buying something from this little girl at the counter, and she's waiting on them. Now, this is a true story. She is bringing them up, and he looks at her and he says, excuse me, because he always said, excuse me to begin, excuse me, do you know Jesus? Six years old, she said, no, I don't. He said, would you like to? 
she said, yes. Now, he's six. If he can do it, you can do it. He walks around the counter, and he says, okay, take, me, take my hands. Because he saw me do it a hundred times at church or more. Take my hands and pray this prayer. She got down on her knees to look him in the eyes, because he was just a little guy. And he prayed a sinner's prayer with her. He said, repeat after me. She prayed the sinner's prayer and invited Jesus to come into her heart. I mean, the kid was six, and he, he could do it. You can do it, too. You can lay hands on the sick. I mean, all it takes is the filling of God's Spirit on you. And I mean, you can do whatever He tells you to do because He won't assign you anything you can't do. And He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Our job is that, what is the gospel? It's the good news that Jesus is alive, that He loves you, He'll deliver you, He'll set you free. I don't know about you, I want revival. When the devil says it can't be done, it can be done in this room. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you. I praise you for times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. Lord, I pray that we embrace revival. Not for us, for your kingdom, for your glory. I pray, Lord God, we embrace it and we have it. We seek you, Jesus. We're not in love with, with the idea of revival. We're in love with the King. Show us what to do. I thank you for it tonight. We, we give you glory. We give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen.